We should keep going with it. <laughs> what a voice and what a tune, and there are hundreds of other pieces of music like it, and while we won't play them right now, I'd like you to listen carefully to these lyrics from other similar tunes. My Lord calls me, he calls me by the thunder, the trumpet sound within my soul. I ain't got long to stay here, steal away, steal away to Jesus. And then these lyrics, sometimes I'm up, sometimes I'm down. Oh yes, Lord, sometimes I'm almost to the ground. Nobody knows the trouble I've had, nobody knows but Jesus. And finally, these lyrics, which are likely quite familiar, swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. I looked over Jordan and what did I see? A band of angels coming after me. If you get there before I do, tell my friends I'm coming too. Swing low, sweet chariot. These lyrics and others like them in this entire genre of music, these spirituals, were written during a time of suffering that most of us cannot begin to fathom. Imagine every possible horror and multiply it, and you and I know from what we've read and heard that it was terrible and awful and unspeakable being a slave in America. A horrible time, the vestiges of which still impact us. So how is it then that I, that what I, along with a lot of other people, consider to be the most moving, spiritual, and hopeful music, how is it that such music came from such a dark place? How is it that those who were most oppressed wrote astonishing words of liberation? How is it that those in the most excruciating pain, emotionally and physically, came up with tunes that vibrate our souls? Swing Low, Sweet Chariot became a song of inspiration for the Underground Railroad through which slaves were freed. And there are lots of ideas as to where the song came from, but one strong possibility is that the song was written by a slave in Oklahoma looking out over the Red River. And as he looked out over the Red River, the thought of the Jordan River came and the thought of liberation. Swing Low, Sweet Chariot captures the essence of many of the spirituals of that time. How is it, too, that in a letter I received last week were these words from an inmate in a maximum security prison that I won't identify? Dear Brother Robert, a lot has happened to me, assaults and persecutions because of my Christian faith, but I am not shaken. The recent floods have knocked all the power out, so the only water we have is passed out to us. I eat peanut butter and cold, hard-boiled eggs. My cell has a lot of water in it. I do not know if you will get this letter, but my Bible and the Word of God has sustained me through these days. And for years, this inmate serving a life sentence has written me. He was 17 years old when he was sentenced, and that's in 1982. How is it, regardless of what he did so many years ago, that he holds on to his faith and that he writes his letter and concludes with words to say, God bless you, Robert. I hope my letter finds you in good health. How is it? How is it that years ago in a letter written by Paul from a prison cell to the people of Philippi wrote, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. 
How is it that slaves, that my unidentified friend in prison, that Paul, that others, how is it that people in tough, more than tough situations, retain hope, keep going, and press on? Well, this last week, as I began this short series, you know I began to get into this question. I want to continue with this question of how is it in this life? How do we live with joy? How do we live with pain? How do we live in the midst of it all and press on? You may remember last week I gave a description that life is indeed like a roller coaster with ups and downs and twists and turns, the beautiful with the awful, the good with the bad, the joy with the despair. And for sure, most of us, if not all of us, life is a mixed bag of great things. Alongside of all that is, that is quite the opposite. We live now in tumultuous times, and while this is not a new thing from a historical perspective, in the midst of all that is happening that is great, and there is much that is wonderful and good and great that is happening day in and day out all across this country and all across this world, there are a ton of things causing much angst for many. And I shared last week that our walk with Jesus has a lot to say to us in these troubled times, that we can, with work and diligence, hand our fears over to God, and instead of spending our time and energy with worry, we can turn that worry to God and ask God instead to give us trust. I acknowledge that feeding trust instead of fear can be a tough thing to do, but that with practice we can do so and learn to do so, just as Paul did in his prison cell. Worry, fear, anger, despair, helplessness, these are all human feelings, God-given and are normal, and God does not condemn us for having these feelings, but it's very clear that God does not want us to stay in places of fear or anger or despair and helplessness over the course of time, day in and day out. God does not want for us to approach life ultimately when it's all said and done through these lenses. Instead, God calls us to trust God despite circumstance. And God also calls us to do something else I want to get into now. Frederick Beekner, some of you may have read, is a Presbyterian minister. He's a prolific writer. And in very slightly adapted, extended excerpts, he wrote the following. To live is to taste and touch, to smell and see, and listen to the good things of the earth and to rejoice in them. To live is to make friends and be a friend. It is to create. And I would add to Beekner's words that life is clearly about love and joy and delight and purpose and service and impacting whomever and whatever it is that's around us for the good. That said, though, Beekner continues, inextricably woven into the rich fabric of life, there is sadness itself. There is an undercurrent of suffering. And he continues, there are many ways for us to deal with the tough things in life, with pain, and perhaps the most tempting way to deal with that which is not right is to forget about it, to hide it, not just from the world, but from ourselves. It is the way of the stoic, the stiff upper lip, the Anglo-Saxon Protestant way to bury your pain is a way of surviving. And Beekner continues, the alternative to ignoring your pain or hiding it is, of course, to be trapped in it. 
and that is when pain somewhere along the line stops a person dead in their tracks, leaving them to feed endlessly on their own bitterness in a world of enemies, none of whom is as deadly as they are to themselves. And he continues, and then there is an alternative to use pain as an excuse for failure. If only the terrible thing did not happen, there's no telling what wonderful things we could have done with our lives. And he says, with each of these approaches to pain, there is no denying their usefulness insofar as they keep the worst from destroying us. But although they may help us survive, they do not help us grow to change and to be transformed. So here Beatner is saying that when life is tough and rough and painful, that there are three ways we can respond. We can bury the pain and keep a stiff upper lip. We can allow pain to cause us to become bitter, angry, and hostile. Or we can use pain and trouble and hardship as an excuse to stay stuck and do nothing different. As I was reading these words, I thought to myself, wow, I know each of those approaches to pain rather well, don't I, Robert? And Beekner wraps up with these words, which I think are very potent. We are never more alive to life than when it hurts. Never more aware both of our own powerlessness to save ourselves and of at least the possibility of a power beyond ourselves to save us and heal us if only we can open ourselves to it. We are never more aware of our need for each other, never more in reach of each other if we can only bring ourselves to reach out and let ourselves be reached. We are never more in touch with life than when life is painful and never more in touch with hope. And at no time more than a painful time do we live out of the depths of who we are instead of the shallows. Well, here Beekner suggests that we are most alive when we're dealing with struggle and pain and hardship. That when we are in pain and struggle, we become aware of our own powerlessness and our need for a power beyond ourselves to save us. That when we are hurting, we realize our need for other people. And that when we live and move through tough times, we get in touch with the deepest part of ourselves. Well, I agree, and I concur that we are very alive when we are willing to turn into the pain. But I have to say that the same is true for unbounded joy. Don't we also feel really alive when we let ourselves feel joy? And in fact, isn't the exhilaration of joy, along with a willingness in life to feel the depth of pain, that we encounter the fullness of what it means to be a human being? And I have learned, and many have learned, and I think what God is talking about in Scripture and Jesus is that if we cut ourselves off from pain, we cut ourselves off from ultimately feeling joy. But joy is not hard, is it? Joy is pretty easy. When it's sunny, a tree simply stands there taking in nutrients. And it's only when it's windy and stormy and the tree survives does it learn that it's not falling because of the depths of its roots. 
And like trees, I believe each of us here today get in touch with the deepest part of who we are, our roots, when things are hard. And perhaps for many of us here, when things really get tough, it's at that point we realize we need a power, something beyond ourselves to save us, to hold us up, to help us, and to pull us through. And when we realize that we are alone, we alone are not enough. When we recognize that isolation is not the goal, when we embrace our interdependence on other people and our utter dependence upon God, it's then, I believe, we understand the wonder, the beauty, the poignancy, the the magnificence, and the depth of what it means to be a human being. It's then we grow, it's then we change, it's then we are transformed into who God intends us to be completely interdependent upon other people and utterly dependent upon Christ. So what does all this say to us? What does all of this say to us in the midst of the roller coaster of life? Joy. Yes, you bet. There is unspeakable, extraordinary, immeasurable joy in life. There is. Soak in it. Embrace in it. Look for it in the little things. Give God thanks for it. Live joy without bounds when it happens. Let ourselves feel it without being afraid and superstitious that it's going to go away when we're experiencing it. Allow ourselves just to feel the joy that God wants us to feel in life. Conversely, pain. Yes. There's unbelievable, extraordinary, immeasurable pain in life. And sometimes we live with joy more than pain, and in other moments we are living with pain more than joy. Yet at other times we're in a place where joy and pain coexist. And what I think that Paul is writing to us, telling us, is that we can run from life, we can hide from life, we can bury it all, we can pretend, we can accept joy and not pain, or pain and not joy. Or we can embrace the whole package as part of the deal and let the joy and the pain together teach us about who we are, what we are made of, and how much we need each other. And most importantly, to let the joy and the pain together teach us how much we need a power beyond ourselves to save us. This is what Paul understood and lived by, I believe. He understood that pain and joy are part of the deal. He denied neither experience, if you read his letters carefully. He didn't run from joy. He didn't run from pain. He trusted God and believed that when it's all said and done, God had his back, had him covered, whether things were good or bad. It's why from a dismal jail cell, he wrote, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And Paul wrote this because he embraced something. And it's the same thing that I believe God invites you and me to do every day of these roller coaster lives. He invites us to do something with our joy and with our pain. First, the pain. God invites us when life hurts to take pain as an opportunity to turn back to God, to turn our feelings and thoughts back to God, to turn all the junk back to God, to give up self-reliance for Christ-reliance, to hand control back over the one who created the idea of control to begin with. Paul understood that the darker things get, the brighter the light of Christ becomes. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. 
Now, don't get me wrong. This is not easy stuff. I detest bad things. I don't like tragedy. I really don't like some of what has come my way in life. And I certainly don't like the pain that those I love have had to go through or are going through. But when you get down to it, I need to decide, you need to decide, we need to decide whether we will allow pain to use us up or whether we will choose to use pain to turn back to Christ. Whether we will use pain to increase our need for others and to increase our need to turn to a power far greater than ourselves. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. When the chips are down and we've got a cross on our back, what we need is some resurrection power. The power of God that is already in you and in me to make it through with God and with others. When all seems lost, God invites us to say, I cannot, but I know you can, God. When pain feels too deep, God invites us to say, this is too much for me, but it is not too much for you. When we don't know what to do, God says to us, say to me, I have no clue, but I know you certainly do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But Paul also understood joy. When all is good in life, when all is wonderful, when the kids are fine, the bank account has enough, and the biggest thing we have to deal with in life is a long to-do list. That is a time, again, to turn to Christ and to say, thank you, thank you for the joy. Thank you for giving me the strength to live through all things. And remind me, God, in the midst of this time of joy, in the midst of this time that is good, in the midst of all that is wonderful, remind me, Lord Christ, that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, including remembering where all this joy comes from to begin with. And the last thing is finally remember that for each of us on this life journey, we can trust God now, we can trust God in the future, and we can trust God when we take our last breath because of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Remember that when we go home one day to be with our Lord, remember this, when we go home one day to be with our Lord, you and I will be able to sing with absolute confidence and joy. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming forward to carry me home. I looked over Jordan and what did I see? A band of angels coming after me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Say it out loud. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Pain, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Joy, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And let us pray.